Chapter 39. You are now listening to The Chapter of the Architect with DJ Architect. What's going on, my people? This is your homeboy, DJ Architect. I want to welcome you guys to another chapter of The Architect. On the phone with me, listen, I have a special guest. This individual I hold in high regard. There are people that you meet in life that you guard them very, very close to the heart. Uh, this individual, uh, ethics, ethical-wise, uh, man, th- this guy is damn near the gold standard of what a Marine should be. Him and I, we served in Iraq 2003-2004. Great gentleman by the name of Eddie Avery. Avery, how you doing today, my brother? How you doing, big dog? How you doing, man? Hey, um, gracious for the words, man. Hey, listen, man, I, I, and you know, I'm not saying that just because I have you here on the phone. You have always been someone that I'm serious, that I've held in high regard. I'm going back. I'm recalling the first time that I ever met you. And, uh, so the, the the everyone who's listening can find out and, and know a little bit of, of our background history and how we met. Ladies and gentlemen, I met this individual back in 2003. I believe we deployed uh I depl- we deployed together in August of 2003, correct? Yeah, that's it. All right, so I probably met you either uh, early August or uh July. And uh, I recall I headed down to the facility because I was, uh, you know, getting my matters squared away right before I deployed uh, to Iraq for my second deployment. And I'm, I'm walking in the facility and I see you now, ladies and gentlemen, keep in mind the facility that we're talking about. There weren't many Marines in there. And the reason is because in our in our unit, um, the the company was split in half. So what happens is they have two groups. One is called Scarlet. One is called uh, Gold, and uh, th- those are symbolic to the to what colors that the Marine Corps utilizes on on signs and things of that nature. So that's what they called the two groups. So the facility was extremely empty. wasn't a lot of Marines, and I was on my way out, and Sergeant Avery at the time was headed towards my way and I noticed you know you know everyone who's in your company but I knew this marine uh was unfamiliar to me and I went up to him because we were both sergeants so you reckon you know real recognized real like mechanized still you feel what I'm saying so <laughs> as you know what I'm saying so as a sergeant I went ahead and and you know paid my respects hey what's going on sergeant boom boom pow and uh he goes hey uh, I'm going to be attached to you guys and I said, man, hey, that's going to be great. Um, I didn't know him personally, but by the way, he carried himself a uh, very professional demeanor. I knew he was going to be an asset to our team. I shook his hand. I apologized because I really couldn't spend a lot of time with him conversing because I was on my way out. Sergeant Avery, you remember? And you know what? I apologize. You, when, when you got out of the Marine Corps, you didn't get out as a sergeant. What was your rank when you got out? I got out as an E7, a gunnery sergeant. Excuse me, uh, gunnery sergeant Avery. I'm, I'm over here busting you down two ranks. <laughs> 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 
And now, ladies, now, ladies and gentlemen, so in the Marine Corps, a gunnery sergeant is an E seven, and but we, you know, we shorten the phrase and we call them we call them gunnies. That's what we call them. So I'm gonna be I'm gonna, I'm gonna be utilizing the, the, the word gunny. Is that all right, there, uh, gunnery sergeant Avery? Man, that's cool, man. You call me Eddie Gunny, whatever, bro. <laughs> so, so Gunny, Gunny, do you remember that particular moment where when we met for the first time? I do, man. We was inside the, I think it was like the maintenance base or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember seeing you, man. I just see. <laughs> I remember you smiling, and you like, "What's up, man?" I was like, "What's up, man? What's going on?" And then, uh, I think we chatted just for a little bit, and um, I don't think we went into real great detail then and there because like you said you had to go and take care of other things but I remember walking in man and seeing the ghost town and I was like what the hell they sending me into <laughs> <laughs> now you you came from a different unit it it was a right. bit odd to me why they would now ladies and gentlemen let me try to explain so when you go to combat whether it's an offensive or a supportive element, you get different groups of different units pulled in together, and that becomes a stand-up company. So a lot of times you end up going with Marines that you probably never met, but they come to you as a whole group, and then you're with your team, and then you integrate, and then you solidify as a company or a battalion, and that's how you go to war, whether you're in offensive or defensive or supportive capacity. What was odd to me was that Gunnery Sergeant Avery came as a one-man Marine with nobody else, and I, and I, that, that was odd to me. I was like, <laughs> why is this Marine, where's his his where's his platoon and you know they they usually come in a platoon size or or maybe even a company size uh i haven't seen anything uh, bigger than than uh or smaller than a squad i don't even, i don't even think i've ever seen a squad but i'm like where's this other marine so explain explain to us gunnery sergeant what how did you end up with us hey man it was and uh looking back on it they were sending John Rainbow to take care of everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, sir. No, but, but, to, <laughs> but to be honest, man, uh, I remember being told by my supervisor that they were needing additional Marines for maintenance teams because, you know, we belonged to the Forest Service Support Group at that time, and um, General Support Maintenance Company was up under that that big umbrella and they were shorthanded because they had sent a lot of their Marines overseas already. It was already in Iraq. Right. So they were like, we got to send another detail of Marines to go relieve the guys that been over there for six, seven months already. So they were asking for volunteers on our side where I was at. And being that I had been home for, I think over a year because I had been over. I've been. I had been home over a year from the last time I deployed, mm. and uh, they were like, "We need some Marines that's been dwelling for a little bit in the states." So I was like, "Okay, I'll go. I'll, I'll go do it again." Right. And then that's how I got. I got assigned to y'all's unit, man. I they see. Sent me over there like a couple weeks later. I see. Now, prior to this, did you get deployed to Iraq, or was this the first time you were getting deployed to Iraq? I was in Iraq an additional time during the. Uh, 
the push up, the original push up when the war started off. You know, I went over there. I was over there from January of '03 until September of '03. Man, you know, Eddie, um, you and I, we probably had this conversation in Iraq, and because loss of memory or whatever have you, I didn't, uh, it didn't register with me that, that you had did a combat deployment when you went, uh, into the initial push in 2003, uh, that was operation Iraqi freedom, ladies and gentlemen. Um, obviously you, you left out of March air force base, correct? Left out of March air force base. That, yeah, you're right. We did. We left, we left out of there and we went to, man, where did we go? We went to, I think it was New York, hmm. and we flew out of New York to Germany, from Germany to Iraq. We were in Kuwait for a month. Right. What camp were you in Kuwait? Man, what's the name of that camp? Um, they had, man, they, I can't remember. I was in Camp Coyote, and I believe there was another camp, uh, Matilda. That's where the British were. And there was another American, several American camps. I'm trying to remember... Um, the other camp, I, I believe it was a, it was a Japanese, uh, location that they had named, uh, that other camp, but nonetheless, wow. So this was your second deployment that you were going on. Now your first deployment, where were you guys stationed or were you guys mobile and, and moving forward? I was with a medical company. I was with a bunch of sailors at that time. So nasty squids. We moved. <laughs> <laughs> We moved from Kuwait all the way up until all the way to Diwania, which was like forty miles south of Baghdad. So, you're talking about Al Diwania. Uh, yeah, Diwania, where the college was. Where I, the was. I was at the. I, I was at Al Diwania. Hold on, mm -hmm. give me one second. Let me take a look at this this document real quick. Give me one second. Give me one second. Uh, I'm just looking at a document uh, of all the locations that I was back in 2003 in Iraq. Um, it was a college in Al Diwania. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we provided we were providing security for that college. Uh, it was it was a college, um, and unfortunately, uh, we ended up with the the worst building with no roof. So we had a triple canopy to create our own roof. Uh, does, <laughs> let's see, does Camp Edson ring a bell? It does. That might have been the name of the camp. Ladies and gentlemen, every, every time and everywhere where Marines go and they stand in place for a certain amount of time for whatever reason, whether it's for supply purposes or defensive purposes, posture and they're there for a certain amount of time the marine corps deems that location uh they they give it a title a a name so it could be identified with other marine corps units now the name of the location of the town where we were at was called aldiwania but i believe the name of the camp was camp ensign edson i don't remember the name of the camp as edson i just remember it as aldiwania we were providing security for the for the the perimeter and the the initial the gate entrance to that college was all marine corps that was 
that was my platoon. And then on the very outskirts would be army providing security. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, uh, excuse me, that is crazy. We were in the same location in 2003. And, but, but, you know, let's be honest, it was a sizable location. Ladies and gentlemen, this was a, a college that the military went in there and says, all right, students, you ain't learning nothing anyways. Get out. We're taking over this facility. <laughs> Set up a 360 perimeter. And, you know, the square mileage of, of this facility was quite large to the point where on the, let's see, the western end of this camp of this location this college was a huge field where we were providing protection for helos helicopters to land you recall that uh gunnery sergeant yeah i do man yeah man so i was the sergeant of the guard from let's see two o'clock in the morning to four o'clock in the morning and then from two o'clock in the afternoon to four o'clock in the uh, in the afternoon so i'd be the sergeant of the guard going checking on the post making sure Marines had batteries, water, everything was amp, you know, obviously uh, making sure the weapons are functional, uh, providing night NVGs, night vision goggles, things of that nature. Um, but I had no idea. You know what? I had no idea that, that you were there at that camp, my brother. Man, do you remember what the gym was on the camp? It was a very, very small gym, but it worked. And they had one room that was a weight room, and on the other room there was a, a smaller room, and they had ellipticals, man. They had like treadmill machines. I, <laughs> I I couldn't believe it. I was like, man, we're in the middle of combat, and these guys got treadmills to keep Marines in shape. And I would use them, man. Me and my buddy uh, Sergeant McKinnon, we would go use the uh, the gym every single day. That was crazy. Yeah. Hey, what did you think of the chow, my brother? Man, the chow was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was yes. horrible, man. We was, out, we was out in town. Like, we had a guy, like, uh, his name was uh, Crosby, man. I can't, I can't, I ain't gonna never forget this guy. He came from Chicago. He was, like, one of those, like, grimy, like, hustling dudes. But he was in the Like me. He was, yeah, he was like me. <laughs> yeah, this <is> a- <laughs> He would always go out in town and go find, like, uh, rotisserie chickens, man, and bring them back for everybody. <laughs> hey, man, listen, the, the, the cool, the, yes, you're absolutely, and you know what? They're, the Iraqi chow, their food is actually delicious. It was. It was delicious because we were security and convoy security, and then we had a detachment of one of our squad of Marines who were probably about seven, eight miles south of our location in Al Diwania, adjacent to a, a, a river. And that river were where the Marines who were purifying the water were, were stationed at. And our squad of Marines were providing protections for those water purifiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we would have to go and check on them twice a day, make sure their batteries, their weapons are up. Yeah, you guys need chow, these MREs. So we were able to traverse uh, up and down the roadway uh, with one or two squads of Marines and check on them. And that gave us access to all types of goodies. You know what I'm saying, my brother? <laughs> We would we would we would be driving in these Hummers with a 240 Golf on the turret, and then on the side of the road you see somebody uh, selling some type of food, or you know uh, there'd be like a little stand with two or three Iraqi uh, individuals with 
a cooler of ice with soda and they got paid. How many convoys, Marine Corps and Army, went through those locations and filled probably these guys made millions? Because ladies and gentlemen, when we were in Iraq, it was hot as hell and the last thing you wanted to do was drink hot ass water. Drink hot water. For four, five, six days straight. After a while, you want to throw up because it's technically you're drinking soup. It's the temperature of soup. Uh, right. And when we would see these little stops, we would we would get these uh, these sodas, and man, we would hey, was it one or two dollars of soy? Man, here, take five dollars. Give me give me everything you got. Yeah. So Avery, what 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 made you join the Marine Corps, my brother? Man, I got injured out of high school because I was a football player and a basketball player. I had scholarships, man, like to go to, um, I had a scholarship to Georgia Tech. I was looking at Georgia Tech to play basketball. And I also had an offer from um, Georgia Southern. I had offers from East Tennessee State University. And I also was looking at um, going to the University of Cincinnati. Wow. um, And and this was for, for, for playing basketball? This was playing basketball, man, because I had uh, given, I gave football up my junior year, which I wish I would have never gave football up, man. But, uh, yeah, playing basketball, man, I graduated 97. I was in camp for basketball, just trying to stay in shape or whatnot that summer. And I ended, I, I ended up tearing my ACL, my knee. Wow. And uh, I lost out on any kind of opportunity, man, to play college ball after that, man, because, you know, College is a business, so they mm-hmm. want to have somebody that's going to come in there and be 100% effective and produce. 100% effectively. Yeah, they're going to produce. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, as soon as I got injured, man, I lost I lost all opportunity, man. So, for two years, I sat at home. I was up under my mom's roof working at the grocery store, and uh, I never gave the military any thought, man. Um, I always seen the military in high school, but I only seen the Air Force and the Army. I never seen any Marines or Coast Guard or anybody else like that. Mm. I was working at the store one day, and I seen a Marine come in. He was with dress blues on. I mean, he was he had been a recruiter. I think he was like on Recade or something like that. He was helping the recruiting office out. So uh, I seen him, man. And I just seen how everybody was like talking to him or whatnot. And uh, he he came up to me. He was like, "What's up, man? How you doing?" I, I remember talking to him, man. I was like, "What are you, man? Like, what do you got on?" And he was like, man, I'm a Marine. And if I recall correctly, he was a corporal. He was an E-4. Mm-hmm. And he was helping the recruiting office. But he told me his story, man. He told me about what the Marine Corps was and uh, how long he had been in. I seen how everybody gravitated to him. And I seen how he was carrying himself, man. And it was kind of it was impressive, man. I was like, mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like that before. So uh, I remember going home that night. I talked to my mom. I was like, mom, you know what a Marine, a Marine is? And uh he was like, uh, if you want to join any military branch, you better be the Marines because they're the best. Ooh. And I remember, I remember two weeks later, man, being in the recruiting office, talking to the recruiter, and he was like, hey, man, I can get you out of here within a, a matter of uh, months. I mean, because right now we're kind of backed up. But I remember signing up, man, and I never looked back after that. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I never looked back, man. I think it was a blessing, man, to see that Marine that day, man, because, I mean, it just set me on my my course of life that I'm on now, man. It was it was it was, it was him. It's it's a funny thing how God places certain situations 
or individuals in your life to change your course of life. And, you know, yeah, man. Uh, for the individuals that can spot it and, and, and can take advantage and utilize uh, it to leverage it, it's a good thing, man. But God puts certain situations and individuals in your path and you you have to know you have to capitalize on it you can't just let the yeah. opportunity slip and and sleep and you know the marine corps dress blues you know that's the panty dropper baby you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm saying girls see you in that uniform and they throwing panties you know what i'm saying and you like at ease yourself ladies at ease at ease Okay, in due time, at ease. You know what I'm saying? But that's a, a great, great story. And the cool thing about it is that your mom sat there and co-signed and told you, if you're going to join any service, it's going to be the Marine Corps because they're the best. Yep. And Flat out city, man. You know, and there's no lie in that. There is, that is the truth. I boast and brag about the Marine Corps. Now don't get me wrong, I have my issues with them. It's not a it's 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 a love-hate relationship. But right, right. you know, but the thing about it is when you become a marine, you're a marine for life. Right? Yes, sir. So I was I, I saw this posting that stated, you know, the army or 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 they consider them soldiers, the navy, they're sailors. A marine will always be a marine and whatever occupation he's doing, he's doing at that current moment. He's always going to be a Marine. It just so happens that this, at this time, he's doing this different uh, career, uh, but he's always going to be a Marine. And every time you, you, you meet and, and recognize or identify another Marine, the first thing you do is extend the hand out and, and then shake that hand. That's it. You know, That's right. uh, I, I don't get me wrong, ladies and gentlemen, I have I have a lot of love for for the army. I have a lot of love for for uh, the Navy, the Air Force. But the Marines are, are in the mud. They we, we suffered. Uh, we're put in a position where a lot of branches of service aren't. And because of that, we identify ourselves. And there's a camaraderie that is unmatched uh, by any other branch. And that's the truth. And, and I'm not taking anything away from Navy SEALs because I think those men are outstanding, honorable. Uh, their skill set is extraordinary. The same goes for Delta Force, uh, Green Berets, Army Rangers, extraordinary skill sets. Yep. Any day of the week, brother, I will always be and pick uh, the branch of United States MC, Marine Corps. Right. Now let's let let's go back to to your experiences in Iraq, brother. So boom, we meet. I jet. I got to go take care of business. We leave towards. I believe it was the end of August. Mm -hmm. uh, go ahead and tell about tell us about uh, your experiences uh, over there in Al Takedum. Man, it just it's very vague. Like the certain the certain things I remember about that time, but it's a lot of things I don't. Let me ask you something. It's funny you say you say that. I also have vague memories of it and i i don't know or i don't i cannot put this the days melted into each other if very if, very much so. right so ladies and gentlemen so let me try to explain what the hell's going on in my my brain sack for your ass so <laughs> <laughs> So, ladies and gentlemen, when you when you go out 
and you're in a, a combat element, a combat location, right? Whether you're supportive or or, or uh, offensive, there is, there are no weekends. There are no days off. Every single day is a Monday. You hear what I'm yep. saying? And our work days consisted of about what fourteen to twelve hours on average. Is that right, Gunnery Sergeant? Easy, man. Easy. So. I believe on Sundays we only worked a eight hour day or a ten hour day. We would get like a two hour uh, a, a release early type of shit. <laughs> and um, so I recall laying down in the rack. The rack is the bed, ladies and gentlemen. And the days would just melt. You didn't really keep track of time. You did your daily routine every day and. The days just melted together. I think the only thing that kept our sanity were the great Marines that we had around us. And, and I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and, and, and let you mention some of those names there, uh, Avery, if you would. Some of the, the great individuals that were, well, really helped our sanity. Can you, can you go ahead and name some names? Yeah, I know the the number one name was you because I mean we was together like like thieves, man. We was always together. Um, My man, we had Gallegos. Gallegos, he was crazy. Corporal Gallegos. Gallegos, <laughs> Gallegos, he, he was another one. Um, you know, he had Cormany. Cormany, he he didn't fit in the, in the Marine Corps mode, but like you can tell, he had a heart. He would do anything for you. Yes, I would. I nicknamed him the the Savage. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. Don't even care, man. He didn't care at all. Um, another one was Winchell. Winchell, he was a guy from Arizona. Oh my goodness, Avery! I totally forgot about Winchell. Oh shit! Yeah, Winchell, man. Winchell, goofy country Winchell, man. Oh my goodness! And he was good people too, man. Such a good-hearted motherfucker. Who else we yep. had in the cut? Yep. And then uh, who's that? Who's that staff sergeant's name? The one that came like he was like the the outcast of the group. Staff sergeant uh, Dunsel, I think. I don't. I don't remember. The thinkers or something like that. I don't remember his name, man. The only, as far as the staff sergeants are, are concerned, the only one I, re- I remember is uh, Staff Sergeant Margo, who, hey, you know what, man, too, it, it, I, who was in my wedding, and of course, you were in my wedding, of course, and I, I never, I don't think I ever thanked you, man. Thank you so much for, for being a part of that. Uh, but uh, aside from um, Staff Sergeant Margo, I, I really don't recall, who is now a Master Sergeant, I really don't recall the names of the other staff sergeants, the, the, the guy who was a LAV chief was cool as hell. The guy who was the, the, the maintenance chief was a piece of shit. Cause you know, he, he took the opportunity of one of us becoming a staff sergeant. You, you know that, right? Who you talking about Farrington? There it is. Farrington, that piece of shit, man, that piece of man, shit. That dude, that dude nose was bigger than Pinocchio's dog. Listen, there was a, ladies and gentlemen, there was a promotion available in Iraq from sergeant to staff sergeant. And we, for whatever reason, didn't get along with this guy. Nobody got along with this guy. He was a real fucking prick, this guy. He was uh, shady. 
he was extremely shady and and and, and he didn't he didn't have anything uh nothing about him was for you to fear he was a real you know real in my eyes a real punk i give him a good thrash in any day of the week um you know what i'm saying but he was a real shady character and the 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 battalion came out with two meritorious promotion slots available for staff sergeants we had on our team we had myself we had sergeant avery at the time sergeant chalk who i loved to death um, yep yep I believe it is is it my it, um if Sergeant Summerlin who was also in my in my wedding party uh Sergeant Miller yeah Summerlin yeah yeah looked like looked like Dolph Dundren or whatever have you uh, the guy from Rocky <laughs> right <laughs> uh so we had we had some real qualified sergeants and in order for you to be able to to be pulled into the put into the pool of individuals that were going up for this these two staff sergeant positions you had to write these bullets stating the, your your experience and what you had accomplished and it was supposed to be due at a particular time and date he let us know maybe 10 15 minutes before the end of deadline of when when this this documentation needed to be uh, presented and there was no way that we were going to present it in time. So when the two individuals were promoted to staff sergeant, I'm not, I, I didn't know the Marines. I, I didn't know the sergeant, so I really can't speak anything uh, negative on their behalf. But what I can say is this, is that they didn't have, that was their first time deployed to Iraq. And there was a, our unit had five sergeants who were currently deployed to Iraq and some of us had already seen combat and had combat action ribbons and the two sergeants who got promoted to staff sergeant in Iraq none of them had a combat action ribbon I know I had a combat action ribbon uh sergeant chalk had a combat action ribbon sergeant miller I'm not sergeant miller had one I'm not sure if you you had one uh Avery but we but because when you when you have a combat action ribbon it it puts you up uh, on the slot uh in a higher position for promotion and we just weren't afforded the opportunity because of this turd nugget of a staff sergeant. But nonetheless, I digress. So who else did we have? Um, you remember that, that staff sergeant that was with the white guy, Raftery. Raftery, remember? Oh, no. His name was, oh, the staff sergeant. His name was in Raftery. Remember, you gave him the name Pig Vomit? That wasn't me, man. That wasn't me. Hey, if it wasn't you, then whoever gave him that name depicted him perfectly. This guy was, oh my Lord, have mercy, man. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, just imagine pig vomit, pig vomit, and 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 that was him. <laughs> hey man, hey that dude right there was like he wasn't worth ten cents. <laughs> oh my goodness, man! Oh my goodness, we had you know. Dude, what we, like, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I interrupted. I apologize. It's, it's like it's like. It's like that group that we were a part of, man. We were like the misfits, man. Like, right? Like, uh, they put a bunch of uh, like like misfits together, coming from like uh, 
and all over the the, the West Coast, man, those units in Pendleton. It was right. like, hey, let's let's keep this thing together and, and send some people over there to relieve those other guys, like the A team, you know? Right. That's what right. it was like, man. That's what it felt like. Right. You're absolutely right. So, um, how can I explain this? So, ladies and gentlemen, so when we were we were bunched up, so you have your group, your unit, and then you're bunched up with another unit, and then another unit, and sometimes the the father or mother unit, they call the shots, and then of course they get take they they get taken care of because their CO excuse me is in their unit, and then everyone who's not connected to that unit it gets treated like a redheaded stepchild ain't that right brother that's right we had a lot of problems with that unit man that captain you remember that captain's name captain zaharzik there you go what was the name of that master sergeant we kept bumping heads with um you got a good memory by the way Avery. you have a great memory there was a no there was, man i just I just remember shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, there was a there was there was a master sergeant who we had problems with this guy, man. We we had so many fucking issues with this guy, but he'd be the first one to grab all the female marines when it was time to take pictures. Okay, all all the ladies come around, come around me. And I was like, look at you old ragged haggard. You know, <laughs> <laughs> this dude think he pimp daddy he big daddy Kane up in his motherfucker man <laughs> you know you know what I remember about Altakatum uh, Avery is I believe it it might have been our first or second night there so ladies and gentlemen let me let me kind of give you the picture of, of where Altakatum was Altakatum was a old Iraqi Air Force base that the United States military took over and they utilized that facility uh, as a support element. Mm -hmm. And it was on top of a, of a heighted plateau. So what would happen maybe three, four, five times a day, six times a day, we would get mortared by yeah. Iraqis. These Iraqis were, you know, really intelligent enemy. They would put mortars in the back of a flatbed pickup truck. They would launch uh, a barrage of five to eight mortars at one time. And then they would drive off. And the reason why they would have the mortar inside of a vehicle is because once they launched off their mortars, they would drive and speed off. So counter battery couldn't attack their coordinated position. Mm -hmm. Right. You, so I hope you guys can understand what I'm saying. Right. So there's a way where counter battery can coordinate the original origin of that mortar. And then they go ahead and they counterattack with the uh, hopes that the counterattack destroys that position of mortar attack. Well, they would put them inside vehicles, launch a barrage of eight to ten mortars and then take off. And the whole time uh, we're sitting ducks. And we're getting mortared yep. left and right. Yep. I believe it was our first or our second night there. They ended up hitting our our ACP. Remember that? Man, we thought World War Three started, dog. Oh my goodness, man! <laughs> or or ASP, should I say? And ladies and gentlemen, yeah. ASP is is ammo supply point. So that means that's the 
almost the armory, if if lack of a better word, it's the armory in in the location where all our AT4s, grenades, ammunition, rockets, bombs, everything that we need for an offensive tactic maneuver is set in that particular location. And by blind luck, these guys, one of their mortars hits the AC, hits the a, uh, ammo supply point, ASP. Yep. And yep. Uh, it might have been, it, was it the first or second night, Avery? You remember? I believe it was our first night, man. It was like the introduction to, to Cotton. We was like, oh. we, was getting, we got bombed that same night. Oh, my goodness, man. Ladies and gentlemen, it was like the 4th of July, but like with real rockets. Real <laughs> <laughs> it, it was it was man but with real rockets uh like launching off and, and and you know we had to get inside these these uh old iraqi aircraft hangars for cover because shit was just exploding everywhere five five six rounds 7.62s 50 cows grenades 84s 40 mic mics uh everything was just exploding c4 i mean forget about it it was it yep. was a sight to see, man. But, but our first night there, we were like, "Damn, dog, we in it now." <laughs> yeah, we in it now. Like we had our rifles. Like everybody's like, "We about to fight. We about to fight." Mm. <laughs> we about to fight. Mm. <laughs> in there in the hangar crying. <laughs> hey, man, we like, hey, shut that shit up, man. Get your head up, man. We about to, it's about to go down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, being being more than in Altacato became second nature. Yep. I remember uh, once again, ladies and gentlemen, because this was an old Air Force uh, Iraqi base. They had barracks, so obviously, we're utilizing these barracks for our 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 sleeping quarters. And then you would hear the mortar attack. <laughs> Yep. Boom. Sometimes yep. you'd be in the middle of a shower. <laughs> Man. Your ass come running out naked or, or hopefully with a towel <laughs> around your waist. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it got to the point where you would be sitting in the barracks and you're getting mortared and you hear the and you hear the mortars coming closer. So you grab your flag jacket, you grab your helmet. And you just sit down and you continue doing what you're doing because, ladies and gentlemen, the motherfucker hits you, it's going to hit you. It's, yep. it's the luck of the draw. And I remember, uh, you know, probably the first week or two weeks, man, everyone's like looking around, getting ready to dodge. And, and then after the third week, you're like, man, you just kept walking. You're like, yo, man, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, fuck it. We wet a more, fuck it, man. And the closer you you heard the whistle, that's when you're like, oh, shit, man. <laughs> this bitch fucking yeah, world yeah. is really close. I think the sad the sad uh, situation that we had was the casualty. A mortar, you know, obviously they're firing them blind. They're shooting them blind. Yeah, you recall when when they it ended up killing uh, an unfortunate Lance Corporal. Where he was carrying a, a radio that he had just purchased from the PX, and it ended up... I ended up killing him, and mm -hmm. um, the commanding officer uh, put out a mandated order that all Marines would walk with a flak 
and Cavalar vests, which, ladies and gentlemen, let me let me explain to you. If a motor hits you at proximity range, you know, five meters, ten meters, the 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 percussion and the fragment of that grenade is going to kill you. The the percussion alone will blow your eardrums out if you don't have your mouth yep. open. Uh, and this individual was bleeding out from his ears and his nose and his mouth, and unfortunately, he, he ended up passing away. A real sad note. Uh, but it was real in the battlefield, ladies and gentlemen. We, you know what I mean. It was, it was, uh, it was some crazy shit. Damn, my brother, I got so many different um, things in my mind that I want to talk about, and I keep forgetting them, man, because I keep rambling on. But expand on your experience and and, and your thoughts on on Iraq, uh, brother Avery. Man, it just. I think it would, if it wasn't for certain individuals like yourself, I mean, yeah, guys, those like Winchell, all them guys, like without y'all, man, like it would have sucked because everybody else is like coming from clown posses, man. Like they, they were all about themselves. It wasn't really a team effort. Like they were looking out for themselves, doing some grimy stuff. Mm. But like being around you guys every day, man, just made it. It made it bearable, man. It made it manageable. And then before we knew it, man, it was just time to go home. Absolutely. You know, uh, an individual I got a name too, man, is, is my homeboy, man, Brother Chalk, Gunnery Sergeant Chalk. Yep. Uh, you know, yep. uh, my red, my red, my red headed dude, man. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one time and I know I'm going I'm I'm going long winded with this man but uh there was a staff sergeant that left his uh he had left his his computer on uh so uh, I went ahead and uh I sent him an email from that staff sergeant's account to chalk and chalk ladies and gentlemen he's a good guy he was in in my wedding another great individual he's got red hair and he used to have one of his teeth on the side were missing. You know what I'm saying? So what I went ahead is I, I sent Chalk an email from this staff sergeant's account stating, I don't know how to tell you this, but for the longest time, I've had a crush on you. I love your fiery red hair. And that missing tooth is cute. I want to get down with you. What's cracking? <laughs> So, so Chalk uh, comes into work the next day, and I'm looking at him. I'm watching him as he's checking his email, and he makes this strange face, man. And the whole day, he's avoiding the staff sergeant. He's just looking at him strange, man. <laughs> and towards the end of the day, right before we get ready to leave, man, I bust out laughing. I was like, yo, man, what's up? You're not going to get with staff sergeant? What's cracking, dog? <laughs> Hey, um, hey, man! Tell, they tell, tell the listeners real quick the story about Gallegos. How how he was Corporal Gallegos, ladies and gentlemen. We was in a maintenance shop, and these Marines were rebuilding engines. And Corporal Gallegos really wasn't didn't have the experience to be rebuilding engines, uh, and he was attempting to put a a C clamp. Uh, onto a piston to retain that piston within the within the, the housing unit. Tell them real quick, uh, Gunnery Sergeant, what happened with, with Corporal Gallegos and his expertise knowledge? Hey, man, you wanted to tell me that one because I don't remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> you got to refresh my memory on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Gallegos is trying to put a C-clamp, which is a retainer, into a, a, a piston, right? So the rod doesn't slip out. 
the right. dummy is sitting there with the proper tools attempting. And I mean, he's going on for 45 minutes. This man is sweating and he's making his <laughs> face and he's making these noises. <laughs> so, so uh, at the time, uh, Sergeant Avery goes up to him. He goes, "What's the problem, Corporal? I can't get it in, Sergeant. I can't, get, I can't get the clamping." And guy goes, "You gonna hear this shit? So yeah, motherfucker, we talk about your ass. How the fuck you gonna show up to my wedding without a cover? Smack your ass! I had to give you my cover, motherfucker." <laughs> <laughs> this, man, what's going on here, man? Man, shit, dude. Um, so, so he comes, Sergeant Avery, and he goes, "What's the problem, Corporal? I can't, I can't get this seat clamp in there." And then so, Sergeant Avery looks at the piston and he goes, "You dummy, there's already a seat clamp in there, you stupid." Mother- <laughs> 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 yeah, and then you start mimicking him. You start mimicking him, and you grab the you grab the the tool in your hand. He goes, "Yo, this is guy." He goes. <laughs> Motherfucker was squeaking like a pig because he was so frustrated he couldn't get the seat clamp into the piston. Oh my goodness, man! Fucking hilarious. Yes, guy, goes we cracking on your ass. This dude, fucking hilarious, man. You know what? I think I remember that now. It was during the day, wasn't it? No, it was at night. It was at night. <laughs> yeah, it was at night. It was at night. I remember, man. It was it was at night. <laughs> hey, you know what? We were in the tent. We were in the tent, right? No, man. We were inside the uh, the one of the Air Force bunkers, man. The aircraft bunkers. We we're in the aircraft bunkers, man. Um, that shit was hilarious, man. And it was outside the office they had built that wood office. Yes, yes, yes. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. I remember it now, man. <laughs> oh my goodness, that shit was hilarious, man! Holy shit, Avery, man! I- I've always considered you a kindred spirit, uh, not not because of the way you carry yourself and 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 the respect that I have for you, and 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 you know, I truly do believe that you and I have the same demeanor and the way we carry us, uh, carry ourselves. Uh, but the the reason why I say kindred spirit is because where did you come from, as far as where you lived? Your locality, your location. I came from it was a town outside of Cincinnati called Hamilton. And um This was in in, in what state? Hamilton, Ohio. Ohio. Mm-hmm. Ah yep. boom, there it is. There it is. See, I came from New York. The reason why I say kindred spirits is because every single time we would sit down there and we would we would discuss music. Everything that you liked, I liked, and, yep. it, and it was and it was vice versa. One of the 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 artists that got me through that second tour in Iraq, and I'm sure it helped you out, was Alicia Keys. Um, the Diary of Alicia Keys that re- was released in 2003. I, I remember picking up that CD uh, at the PX. And playing that CD left and right, the interlude, feeling you, feeling me, diary, uh, you don't know my name. Those songs, I would, I would put them on re- just those particular songs. I would put them on replay. 
Mm-hmm. And those, her as an artist, and 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 I gotta mention uh, songs in A minor from two two thousand one Troubles. I love that song as well. But but uh, those songs from the Diary of Alicia Keys in two thousand three held my sanity, and I would go yep. to sleep to those songs. I would wake up to those songs in the headphones playing. Do you do you agree? I remember you and I we used to have conversations about how. How deep and just soulful her music was. Didn't you write her a letter? Yeah, I did, man. I don't think you remember, but uh, I wrote her a letter and I let her know that um, she was a big inspiration and she had a lot of people looking up to her, man, and they were grateful for her her work, man, and how she carried herself and the, the music that she produced. And she got a lot of people in our scenario overseas at the time through a lot of those hard times. And I think it was a few weeks later, man, that I received something in the mail from her. She sent me a picture of her and she had autographed it. And she said, thank you for the kind words. And she was like, I I hope that I can continue to push out music the way I've done so far. And I I will work my best to do so. And I just, I'm very gracious for what you, what you wrote. Hey man, that was yeah. pretty. That was pretty cool of her. Yeah, man, I still got that. Man, I came across that uh, picture maybe I think it was like three or four months ago. Man, that was that was pretty cool. That was extraordinarily yeah. cool. Let me tell you what what would have been cooler if she would have sent you some panties and said, "Keep your head up, Daddy." <laughs> Now she married to that goddamn. Now she married to that rat face Swiss Beats. Goddamn it! But you know, you know, back then, man, she was rocking the braids, man. So I was like, man, that's really beautiful. Yeah, man, absolutely, absolutely beautiful. Let me tell you another siren of the land that I behold to be one of the queens is Sade. Man, you know, she got some new music coming out here pretty soon. Yeah, I heard, man. I heard. I, I would, I would love to, to catch her in concert, man. That, that's I got to catch her in concert, man. She's off the hook. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I have the, Mr. Avery. I, I designated him as my inspirational music uh, inspire uh, inspirer. I, I'm like the, the the music that this man listens to. I've stated, hey, okay, you you need to be sending music to me that you got brand new artists or not old, because this man's taste in music is off the hook. Apollo, <laughs> Apollo, I'd never oh, heard man. of this guy. I never heard of this guy, and you started sending me his music off the hook, man, off the hook. How did you find out about Apollo? Apollo Brown, man. Um. How did I come across Apollo Brown? I think what I did, you remember when I sent you that video of uh, Ninth, Ninth inside the studio working on beats, Rhythm mm-hmm. Roulette? I came across Apollo Brown's Rhythm Roulette a few years back, and I was like, who is this guy? Like, I never heard of his stuff before, but the way he was making his stuff, like, it was very simple. And I was like, man, let me check this guy out, man. And then when I checked him out, man, like, his catalog is like, extensive man so i just like i was like man this dude is a genius mm. he's, a, he's a musical genius like this dude is a musical genius like he's not spending thousands of dollars on equipment like he had cool edit he's running off microsoft 97 with cool, like making beats man cool, like, cool, like cool, cool edit pro i used to have that yeah. shit. <laughs> 
Hey, hey, but but listen, I've always stated this. It's not the equipment or the software that makes uh, the song good. Uh, a lot, it's the person, and, and and a lot of the times when you have an individual that lacks the tools, he goes above and beyond to make sure that shit's correct. And a lot of it is natural talent. But but yep. what happens is when you have an individual who lacks the tools but has great, great touch and, and great spirit and great feeling to create that, that music, when they actually get a software or the hardware that's of high caliber, then it just takes them to 20 notches above where they used to be because they've already proved themselves to be a a great uh, natural talent. Uh, So you definitely don't need a piece of hardware that costs you $2,500. Somebody utilizes something that that you can download off the internet for free and still bang you out, blow your, your track out the box. Uh, and because it doesn't really have to do with relevant hardware, it has to do with what comes in your talent and what comes out of you. It's a spiritual touch mm-hmm. that you give to the music, and that guy is, is as, as well as Ninth Wonder. Woo! Yeah, um, dope, man. Dope. Absolutely. Let me tell you something too, man. I I know I, I thanked you before in the past, but I, I gotta thank you once again for for hooking me up. Uh, and introducing me to to your sister in law, Kesara, which I believe she was uh, chapter four or chapter five. I, I apologize for not remembering uh, the chapter. Uh, she is another great talent, man. Did you did you by any chance get to hear that that chapter? I heard it, man. It, it was, I, you know what, man? I was like, man, this dude. I like that you you started the podcast, man. I like what you're doing, man. Because I mean. I just found it to be very amazing, man, how, how you uh, came about with it, man, and then incorporating her, man, and just making her feel like she was at home and allowing for her to be in her element, man. It was it was great. Great to hear, man. Oh, no, man. It was a it was such a great pleasure to have her on the podcast. Case Sarah, such a natural, raw talent. And uh, I'm going to reach out to her again, man. I told her, hey, we're going to have you back on when, when, when your next project drops. And uh, I'm going to reach out to him like, hey, look, it's that time. Let's get it cracking. Let's hear let's hear that new music, man. She is such a great, great talent, man. Now she is your your wife's sister, correct? Yes, she is. Does your sister get down with with, with singing and, and harmonizing? She does, man. And you know, right now, like I recently talked to her about some some music she's working on. She's incorporating forties music. Mm. Mm. She's incorporating forties samples into her music now, man. So Beautiful. it'll be interesting. I haven't heard anything. Beautiful. But, uh, yeah. She's interesting, man, to just say the least. Hey, listen, man. Hey, she she got some music coming out. It'd be my pleasure to have her on, man. Hey, keep it all in the family. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yep. Hey, now 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 you dabble, you dabbles on, on on the wheels of steel, right? I heard you dabbles on the on the wheels of steel. What's going on, man? You do a little bit of DJing, a little bit of production. What you do, man? No, nah, man, I don't mess with the DJing as much because that's I mean, you guys, man, you guys like that is a talent in itself, man. Um, I just love I love sampling music, man. Like I like listening to the different producers, nice. how they do it, how they pull, how they yes. pull their music, how they make their melodies, man. It's just it's always been interesting to me, man. Like ever since uh, growing up and growing up in Ohio, listening to different hip hop and whatnot, like I always had an interest in the track itself, the music itself. Like the music was what caught my attention first. 
and then the lyrics caught my attention second. Mm. That's how it worked for me. Hey, you know, like if the beat wasn't right, I didn't like it. I wasn't gonna listen to the the artist, but. You that's, and, just, that's just how I look at it, man. You and I th think very, very, very similar, man. Very similar. I will give a brand new artist, I would say, eight seconds of my attention span per song. If I'm not feeling the beat, if the melody, for whatever reason, doesn't capture me emotionally, move me, tear me up, make me sad, make me want to fuck or fight, makes me want to <laughs> lift weights, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't want to fuck with it. I, you know, what? and it all comes from that eight seconds or seven seconds, and that's the gap that I'm giving a motherfucker to bust yeah. out and show me something. And and it unfortunately, those first seven to eight seconds are not the MC. The MC could be Nas, and which I consider Nas one of the greatest. Uh, you know what I'm saying? It could be Nas, but if the beat is not like yo, man, there's many songs Nas has that I've I've never heard a second time because the beat's whack. Okay, man, yeah, verse is dope, but I if the beat doesn't move me within those seconds, hey man, sorry, homie, whatever message you were about to spit, I'm not gonna listen to it. I'm fast forwarding it. You know, and yeah. I, th I think you and I think similar. The beat has to attract and magnetize and capture you, move you in some way, man. Shake you up, whether it's get you amped up, make you want to go on a run or lift weights or, more, or, or, or make you want to look at your wife and be like, baby girl, I'm going to give you the I'm, I'm, I'm going to make love to you this evening. This, 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 you know what I'm saying? Or, or basically yeah. listen to the to to a piece of music that's sampled or, or whatever have you or made naturally, organically and inspire you to go into your own studio and say, fuck, that shit inspired me and let me create something out of that energy that that's yep. what real good music is supposed to do and i feel you and i and that's why i say you and i are kindred spirits because you and i we look at music in the same way it's got to capture you emotionally you know what i mean mm -hmm. they change your moods without any medication they do it with melody and it's fucking beautiful and i love it and yep. uh, you know the a lot of the artists that I currently hear now, I don't hear. Uh, it's sad to say I I I I turn back to a lot of music that was for me uh, touching in the nineties, and, and that's why I said to you, I say, hey man, uh, go ahead and send me some some music that that some new music to to keep me current, man, because I don't want to. I'm like the ostrich, man. I keep my head in the, in, in the hole and I delve in my Wu Tang crates. And my Nas crates and my Tupac crates, and I don't want to, you know what I mean? I, you know, don't, don't get me wrong though. I think J Cole is fucking outstanding. Kendrick Lamar is a fucking beast, you know. But there are not a, a lot of individuals that can withstand the quality that these guys put out. You know, obviously uh, individuals like Drake, uh, uh, off the hook, man. But the quality of music to me has just diminished. Do you agree? I agree, man. It's not the same. It's not the same at all, man. It's just, I'm the same way, man. I'm stuck in the 90s, man, when I listen to music. But there's a few artists out here that are trying to trying to carry that carry that weight, man, from that period. That's good. That's good. And and, and if you find them, you send them my way. I, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll click on that YouTube link. 
I want to listen. I want to hear. I, I, I want to be inspired. Shit, man. You know what I'm saying? By all means. Hey, brother. So we're going to keep it moving forward real quick, man, because like I said, shit, we already had a minute, an hour five. And uh, shit, I, I told you we, I'd get you off the phone here within an hour, man. But the, 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 we just, I think we could, you know, I got to have you back. Shit, it's just too much shit to talk about. Um, I got you. Gunnery Sergeant Abel, ladies and gentlemen, he has a great resource of knowledge when it comes to VA disability information and, and i thought it was imperative for me to pick his brain and and ascertain some information uh regarding some of the knowledge that he has that way we can disseminate it to so many veterans that you know a lot of these guys they have no clue they have no idea of how to even get started with a disability claim and you know what they've earned it they've they've been to combat uh, sometimes they just don't have the information and they're ignorant and we're going to go ahead and try to enlighten them. We're going to go ask you some questions there, Gunnery Sergeant. Is that all right? That's cool. All right. Now, ladies and gentlemen, be advised. This is not legal advice. He's not representing any entity. This is just an individual that has some knowledge uh, that, that could be useful to other veterans you can take it as you will. If if I'm asking him the questions, it's because uh, I feel he has uh, some sort of experience uh, with the claim process and, and, and the knowledge within the VA. So very briefly, Gunnery Sergeant, can you explain the disability claim process? Yes, the disability claim process is for any individual that is getting ready to get out of the military that are still on active duty orders or whatnot. Um, it may be somebody that's getting ready to get out within the next few months, or it could either be somebody that's already got out of the military already who has been sitting at home for a while. It's a chance for them to be compensated for any kind of disease or injury that was incurred or aggravated during military service. So um, we go into the military with pretty much a, a fresh body. You're going in as a fresh body, no kind of injuries or anything like that. If you do got any injuries, you're going to get waivers for it. But you have what is called an entrance exam when you do it at the MEPS to join the military. That's just documented. So over your time, when you're in the military, either an aggravation can occur of that existing injury, or you may get something that's new that you didn't have before. So it's just an, a chance for you to be able to get compensated for those injuries because the military was what made those injuries occur or aggravate. Okay. All right. So the reason I'm giving this information is because I I have a very keen interest for veterans and making sure they're taken care of because veterans give a lot to this country. And there's a lot of veterans now out here that are not being taken care of and being forgotten about. So I find it in my life to to make sure those individuals are, are taken care of. And I, I use a lot of my time to either volunteer or I spend time working at veteran service organizations to um, that information that I've gathered from those places. I can, I can give it out and feel pretty confident about what it is I'm giving. Hey brother Avery, man, that's beautiful, man. And, and you know, the thing about it is, and, and it sounds cheesy, man, but really guys, information is power. Especially yep. with dealing with the VA, man. If you go in there clueless uh, like a lamb, you're going to be slaughtered and, and, and your ribs going to be eaten. 
You hear what I'm saying? You do, and and that's word up. You do not want to go and submit paperwork for a disability claim with the VA with, without having uh, some sort of knowledge of the details of what it is that you're submitting for, man. You got to do your homework, guys. Uh, you, you may be lucky w- once or twice, depending on who who receives your paperwork. You may be lucky, but I guarantee you, man, that's a slim chance. Uh, now, moving on to the next question, Brother Avery, w- what are some common mistakes you see veterans make when filing their VA claims? I got two for you. Um, the first one, I find very important, and a lot of veterans don't take advantage of it. You have veteran service organizations out there that are willing to assist you throughout the whole process and represent you towards the VA when it comes to your claim. You're talking about individuals who may have been veterans themselves or individuals who just love veterans and want to take care of them that are there to help you with your claims. So... There, there's many veterans organizations out there who can help you with your claims that, that are like the, you got the veterans of foreign wars, the VFW, you have the M vets, you have the disabled American veterans, you have Vietnam veterans, you have black American veterans. There's so many veterans organizations out there that you can use that are free, free, F-R-E-E, that will help you with your claim and get you going in the right direction. One of the biggest mistakes I see is that veterans, um, they try to do it themselves. They go in there blindly, like you said, not have the knowledge of how to navigate the VA process. And that's how a lot of stuff gets denied. You have to go in there and you got to be represented by somebody who can help you out. And that's what those organizations can do. The second thing is, I see so many veterans, they get out the military and they wait for a long period of time before they make a claim. You have a golden period. Like, say, for example, you get out January 15th of 2016. Like, you get out of the military, that's your, that's your last day, that's it. Mm. You have a year from January 15th, 2016 to January 15th of 2017. Anything that occurred within the military, the VA is going to look at it in a favorable way within that year if you come in with a claim. So if you have a veteran who waits five years, a veteran who waits 10 years, a veteran who waits 20 years and says, oh, I had issues because of the military, I'm having problems now, like it's not going to be very favorable unless it was a presumption, something that you want to get rated on because it's something that occurs, something like Agent Orange, like a Vietnam veteran, Agent Orange claim. If you got diagnosis right now or something that occurred then, yes, we're going to help you out. But I just mm. see where veterans wait too long, man, to try to file claims, man. And I think it's because they don't know or they're, they're too prideful, mm. too much ego. I don't know what it is, man. But there's mm. so many things to be able to help that now, they should take advantage of. Absolutely. Now, uh, real quick, I've got a question. So you utilize the word presumptive. Uh, mm-hmm. can, can you explain that to the listeners? Presumptive? A presumptive, right? So I use the Vietnam War, for example. You have veterans out there right now who have been diagnosed with diabetes, mellitus 2, uh, prostate cancer. That's just to name a few of the, the presumptives that, that are out there. So if a veteran can prove to 
the V8 that they served in Vietnam was a DD-214, or if the DD-214 doesn't give enough information, they'll look at personnel records to see that you were on ground either on ship in brown water or you may have been in country with boots going to go fight. If we can verify that through your personnel records, like it's going to show that you have a presumption, like you were there, mm. you're certain, and you're going to be okay. Because if you're coming to us now, 40-some years later, 50-some years later, saying that you got these issues, we know it's because of Vietnam. Mm. That's wow. a presumption. Now, Gordon Reese, Sergeant Avery, wouldn't you also need, I'm assuming, a current diagnosis of that illness? Yes, the current diagnosis is going to be very, very important. Um, you, when it comes to a presumption, right, like, you could have a veteran who got out of the service in 1974. You know, Vietnam didn't enter 75, so 74, they may have went to the doctor, got diagnosed with it, and they didn't see any doctors from that point up until now. I mean, they would be perfectly fine because we have proof that they were in Vietnam. Mm. And they do have a diagnosis from that period. Mm. Now, so it will be okay. Now, through the presumptive process, would they have to have a a nexus or a connection to prove? Or because of the presumptive process, would that negate that connection of service with the diagnosis? Yeah, a nexus is not needed in this in this case. If they show that they were in Vietnam and they got proof of it and we see it, they're going to be okay. Now, there's this thing that I'm hearing there, Gunnery Sergeant Avery, that it's called the Gulf War Syndrome. Does that fall into the same category as Agent Orange in Vietnam? It, it falls into the category of presumptives as well. Yes, it does. So all you would have to do is present a DD-214 stating the area of operation or perhaps a letter of decoration or a combat action ribbon stating where that combat action ribbon is or perhaps medals uh, to state that you were in that location and then the current diagnosis with the presumption of the current diagnosis was uh, onset in that particular location. Is that correct? Correct. It's got to be within Southwest Asia. Southwest Asia could be Kuwait. It could be Iraq, but it's not Afghanistan. Now, uh, does that also, I know you said for Vietnam, but would that also carry for an individual on board of a naval vessel uh, that was in the area of Kuwait? Yes, if they were on the ground at any point in time, they had to have been on ground. Outstanding. On to the next question, brother. Once again, I'm, uh, I apologize for the uh, for the time consuming, but uh, it, it, you just you're a plethora of knowledge, and we're trying to ascertain as much information uh, out of that beautiful brain sack of yours. Uh, but <laughs> let, let's let's keep it moving. Let's keep it moving forward. Now, I assume the VA laws and the regulations, man they they have to change, and I'm assuming they change every year, very often. Uh, they're coming out with, with, with changes regarding the claims. Have you heard about 
any new changes that are coming up regarding the VA stating, oh, wow, um, this could be tied to uh, to this. Uh, this could be uh, a secondary condition to this. Is there any new information coming out? Because studies are, are coming out from physicians and doctors. And is the VA uh, taking that information from these studies? Are they taking that and, and are they looking to make changes? Um, right now, I don't see any um, major changes coming. Like internally, we have changes every week, but it's just how we handle the claims process and how we handle claims when we receive them. But major things that um, are facing veterans out there when it comes to claims and evidence and things like that, I don't see anything major right now. Okay. What are the different types of evidences that a veteran can submit uh, to help their claim in support of their claim? You have what is called statement. Um, those are very important. Like you may have a veteran who did you does say? Not have, you said you said buddy statements, right? Yes, buddy statements. That's um, also, that's also considered as a lame evidence. Is that correct? Right. 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 Um, you have. You have veterans who may not have the, the evidence in their record, like service treatment records might not have anything, um, or they may not have any STRs at all, service treatment records. So we would ask the vet to give us a buddy statement. Um, give us a statement showing that you had a buddy that witnessed these things, or they can say that you were a part of this scenario or this certain situation. So that's we would take that evidence, that buddy statement, and look at it, at it, we we'll look at that evidence as as the gospel because, I mean, it's a certified statement. It's something that will be a part of that veteran's file. So, obviously, so, a letter from the spouse would help immensely. Oh, very, very much so. Very uh, much so. What about a statement from the veteran himself? That will help as well because you have what is called a 21-4138 statement in support of the claim. So... I recommend to all veterans when they file a claim to always use that form and explain how that disability came about um, and how it's affecting you now. You want to paint a picture for the person who's going to work on your claim as easy as you can because there's so many claims that come across that there's no explanation and the person on the other end is left to try to figure it out. Mm. If you explain... If you explain and paint the picture for that person that's going to work and claim mm, the other team, mm, yes. they Yes, yes, I, I, I see. So your stating is just don't submit a claim. Submit a statement explaining why and the yes. actions pertaining to that particular day of how you occurred the injury. Yes. It makes absolute sense. Makes absolute sense. Now, aside from utilizing that VA form, uh, which is a certified document. Uh, could it also be? Uh, could could a veteran also utilize the route of creating or or having a, a buddy statement written uh, in the position of a business form letter, and then having that notarized by an official notary? You can do that, and you can just actually write a letter and sign it, and date it, and send it in. Does the notarized letter hold any weight, either or? There's no difference in it when it comes to those letters. So you would say to someone, just save your money? I would say save your money. Okay, I'm going to save my money. 
<laughs> okay, now, Brother Avery, uh, please explain what a DBQ form is and a nexus letter from your Dr. R and, and is one more effective than the other? Uh, for example, if, if I'm a veteran uh, and, and I have uh, plantar fasciitis and, and I believe it's it's related to, uh, to the military, do I present my private doctor with a DBQ form uh, or do I ask him to please write a, a statement um, a nexus letter of connectivity, which would be more effective? Which would, would could you please explain uh, what a DBQ letter is and a nexus letter is and, and which is more effective uh, than the other or if not? I would say that this is going to be the most important piece of this podcast. If you're listening, make sure you're paying attention to this part right here. Uh, disability questionnaire is very, very important. The nexus letter is very important. Like when a veteran claims any kind of disability, it's going to be on the VA to find evidence and to determine if we want to send that veteran for an exam who can be with a contractor or could be with the VA themselves because the contractors are contracted out by the VA. So the VA is slammed with contract exams, like they can send them out to the contractors. But um, the BBQ disability questionnaire, I recommend that any veteran who is submitting a claim submit their own DBQs because I say this, you have a lot of veterans out there who go to the VA and they have a history with a certain doctor or they may go to a private doctor and have a history with that doctor. If you get your private doctor to write that DBQ up for you, they know your history. They know what you've dealt with. They know everything about you. They can write it all on that disability questionnaire and you can submit that with your claim and it would cause your claim to go straight for rate. A rater would look at it and be like, okay, let me rate this individual. If you don't submit that DBQ, it's going to be on us to gather the evidence. It's going to be on us to get you to an exam and you want to go in front of a, a doctor who you don't even know. You don't even know this person. Like They don't know you. They're looking at a record. They may not look at a record. We don't know. One thing we know is we get you to that exam, we did our job. We get you to that exam. Mm. So it's important you get that DBQ from your doctor, yourself, to submit it with your claim. Now, will a nexus letter from your private doctor negate the comp and pension examination from the VA doctor? No, it won't. It, it'll help. A nexus letter will like point us in the direction of, okay, let me look at this area of his records to see if this is matching what he's saying, or let me see if he has the evidence to match what the doctor is writing, because there's a lot of times when the doctors are writing letters like that, but they hadn't even looked at the military file. Mm. So it's not going to hurt. I mean, it's not going to help that bit at all. Mm. So if, if a nexus letter is being written by the doctor, because some doctors don't fill out the DBQs, and I don't know why, because they don't they want to take their time doing it, but if they use a nexus letter, the veteran submits a nexus letter, they have to make sure that their doctor has looked at their military records and can say that because of the military, they're having issues with these certain disabilities. They have to put that, that language into that, that letter. I believe, this is just my humble opinion, I believe 
a lot of the times why a physician wouldn't want to fill out such a document is because a lot of the times it is time consuming. Uh, Number one, the doctor, in order for the statement to be effective, number one would have to look at at the veteran's C file, his, his record, his medical record, correct? Yep, correct. And that could, you know, depending on the number of pages within that file, that record, it could take numerous amount of hours and then he would have to make the connection of the disability and, and, and connect it uh, with military service. So that takes a great amount of time. And doctors, they're busy individuals. They're, they're, they're professionists to get individuals in and out of the office. Um, mm-hmm. Would you recommend or would you state it would be a good option to possibly communicate with the doctor uh, listen, I know this is going to take a lot of your time. This is a huge favor that you will be doing for me. And because of the time that you would be uh, consuming, looking through my files, I have no issues with incurring a bill for for your time. And uh, w- would there be any issues with that as far as, as stating, hey, look, you're a busy individual. Your profession is to get patients in and out. And I'm asking you to take a look at my documents, which, ladies and gentlemen, they have nothing on. There is nothing on paper stating that they have to do that for you. So right. uh, would there be any issues with the patient, you being the veteran, stating, hey, look, you know, I will compensate you for the time loss of, of, of bringing in patients. If you can take time to look through, through my files, do you think that's an acceptable summary? That is, is very, I mean, it's very acceptable. I mean, if you go in there and you tell your doctor what you're trying to do, you explain to them what you're trying to do and why it needs to happen. I think a lot of doctors will work with you. And what will help too is don't go in there and give them 1500 pages of medical records. Right. If you're trying to clean something, Find that information, print that information out or a tablet or something where the doctor can easily find it and be able to write stuff up for you. You want to minimize the impact on that doctor just by you yourself and doing this whole thing. Perfect. So in summary for that question, what you're saying is have your physician, your doctor fill out a DBQ statement. Uh, and within that statement, have him submit what would technically be a nexus letter within the remark statements, correct? Correct. You can do all that. And the VA itself has a web, a web page where they have all the disability questionnaires for each disease or disability online. Perfect. On to the next question, my brother. Thank you for it, man. That was a great one. Uh, great, great info. Now, would you advise a veteran to fight? a denied claim or wait for some time and then reopen the claim and return with more substantial evidence if they can. Uh, and if they want to reopen the claim, how long do they have to wait in order to reopen that denied claim? Okay. So let's say, for example, you yourself, you get a notification letter saying, Hey, you've been denied for asthma. You've been denied for plantar fasciitis, or you've been denied for everything that you claimed, right? You got denied for that letter. You got denied for those disabilities yesterday with the date of that letter. You received that letter yesterday, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, April twenty first, you received the letter saying, "Hey, you've been denied for so and so." 
you have a year from that date to come back towards the VA with new and material evidence showing that they need to reevaluate that denial. So yesterday you got denied. You can wake up this morning. You can wake up this week. You can wake up a month from now and say, you know what? I'm going to resubmit some new evidence and I want to fight this thing. So it's, it's okay for a veteran to fight because that's why you have these different steps in place. You have a year from that notification date to fight and um, get new evidence in there. Like it's, it's, it's easier for them to do it within a year. So perhaps, perhaps, year, perhaps you can get your physician to submit a DBQ statement document. Correct. Correct. Um, the biggest thing too is if you get notified by the VA that you've been denied, you need to read that letter that they send you because they're going to let you know why they denied you mm. and what they're looking for in order to connect you. Mm. It's all in that paperwork and a lot of veterans don't read it. It's right there. They give you the answers to the test. All you have to do is read it. All you got to do is read it. Read it. A lot of them, they see denial, 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 and then they toss it to the side. They just forget about it. You got to read the black and white that they send you because they give you all the information that you need in order to be connected. Now, what what would be the most fruitful way of going about it? Uh, the denied claim is uh, is is fighting it, or to wait and then once again reopen the claim. Okay, so within one year of the notification, if you come back in. You can request what is called for a reconsideration. A lot of veterans don't know about that. You can be reconsidered based on new and material evidence that you submit. So, and what, what is? Um, I apologize. What is the the time length for that? You want to do that within one year of that notification letter, and if you wait until more than a year, is is what you call a reopening claim. So, anything under a year is reconsideration. Anything over a year is a reopen. So you have reconsideration. A lot of veterans don't know about reconsideration. So if they get denied for something, you can come back in on a new claim and say, hey, you know, I was denied on so-and-so date. I request to be reconsidered for so-and-so. But make sure you turn in new and material evidence that has not been looked at. And the evidence that's been looked at is on the letter that they send you in the denial. You can't send the same information in and ask for reconsideration. There's got to be new evidence that has not been looked at before. I see. And then for the reconsideration, it has to be submitted within 12 months uh, within the denial period, correct? Correct. Okay. Now, for the reopen of the claim, how long was must a veteran wait to reopen a claim after denial? You can, you can, you can reconsider. You can re reopen. Anytime after the fact, um, the way they look at it on the VA side is you have one year from the date as a reconsideration. Anything over a year is a reopen. Is a reopen. Um, right. So now, I'm assuming when you reopen a claim, you would also have to submit supporting brand new supporting evidence to reopen your claim. Is that correct? That's correct. My man, let's move on to the next question, man. This is awesome. <laughs> Goodness, man, your wealth of knowledge. I appreciate you so much, brother. No um, problem, man. A great tool that I've utilized to help me uh, in networking uh, with veterans, man. That networking is is a key word. 
Net, I, I network with you. You know, you and I, we served in Iraq, uh, combat mm -hmm. veterans. Uh, to me, you're a plethora and a wealth of knowledge. I, I looked for you for guidance and information. That to me is key, networking. Uh, do you have mm -hmm. any other outstanding, great tools that you would suggest for veterans to help them uh, with their cause aside from networking? I would say to hook up with a veterans organization um, because there are so many veterans out there, man, in your town that you live in. There's veterans that you work next to. Like, don't be afraid to shake hands and, and tell your story and introduce yourself because you never know who you're going to come across, mm. whether it's someone you work next to or somebody that may be in one of those veterans organizations. Mm. Um, another way is to get on what is called LinkedIn. LinkedIn, there is so many veterans out there, man, that's, that's for the cause and trying to help each other. Mm. Mm. So many of them. I'm going to look into that. You know, the reason why I say networking is such a great, powerful tool, man, is because if you keep your trap shut, nobody's going to know your issues. Nobody's going to know exactly. what, what you're going through. The moment you open your suck and and you connect with another veteran and, and you start talking about uh, ailments and, hey, were you, were you getting disability for that? Mm -hmm. Did you know that could be considered a, a situation that you got from a particular location that, that you served in? No, no, I, right. I, I was unaware. Well, uh, well, why don't you come over here under the learning tree and let me teach you something, by all means. <laughs> uh, let me, let me, hold on, uh, let me go to the store, let me get some 40s. Let's kick it, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's why I consider networking to be such a vital tool, man, because out of a basic conversation of, hey, man, you know, what's cracking, man? Hey, man, boom, 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 boom. You was in the service. Oh, I mean, it was in service. Yeah, man, me, Marine Corps. Oh, yeah, boom. All of a sudden, you, you, you ascertain a wealth of knowledge. And uh, that individual also be, all, all of a sudden can change your life with a, with a piece of knowledge. Uh, yeah. So that's very yeah. imperative for the veterans who, who, who are listening is, is, hey, man, I know some of you individuals are dealing with some, some situations, but, but you got to be able to, to open up just a tad bit and, and just let some people know, uh, you know, what you're dealing with, man, because that person can have something, uh, a wealth of information for you. Now, what are the most common claims when you were working a a as a volunteer that, that you saw coming through your station? And what are the successful veterans doing that others are not as far as their claim? Well, I've seen so many different types of claims, like, you see dependency claims, you'll see Agent Orange claims, you'll see go for claims, like you'll see claims for stuff that veterans know they didn't get in the military. Like, there's so many things you see on a daily basis. Um, the one thing that stands out when I look at those types of claims is there are some veterans out there that are well prepared. You can tell that they read online. You can tell that they know what they're talking about or they have somebody in their corner that can put them in the right direction. Mm. Like, their claim is prepared, man. Like they, they submit it. Like they got a statement and support a claim. They, they, they paint the picture. They provide the evidence. Like they don't have the VA go looking for the evidence. Like they mm. provide everything with the claim on the same day the claim comes in. Like they are prepared. Like, hey, you can make a decision on this claim right now based off of everything I'm giving you. 
and, and, and is that considered a a a fully uh, formed claim? What's the name of that? Fully developed claim. You're fully, correct. Fully developed claim. Mm-hmm. A fully a fully developed claim. Everybody's going to come in under a fully developed claim unless there is something that is missing that the VA has to go and look for. Like uh, you may have a vet that comes in saying that I want to claim PTSD. Okay, but they don't submit anything else. No diagnosis. Like, no, no diagnosis. No diagnosis, or they don't submit a 0781 form, which is a stressor form, telling the VA, hey, this is the reason why I got PTSD. So if that form is missing or you got diagnosis and stuff that are missing, you're going to get booted out of the fully developed claim process and go to the standard claim process. I see. Because you're missing information. Because now the VA has to send you to an appointment with a physician or a psychiatrist to get diagnosed for PTSD, correct? No, no. The, the VA wouldn't send you for that, that information. We would reach out to the veteran themselves and hey, say, provide us the reason why you got PTSD. And then we'll make a decision on if we're going to send you for an exam or not. I see. Now, now there's different forms and different levels of PTSD. Is that correct? Correct. Now, the the depending on the level of PTSD that the individual has, then the individual will receive different levels of compensation. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, there's different levels according to the DSM-5. Um, I think it's a, a manual where they look at mental um, disorders. Um, it, it's like a, it's like scale levels within that manual. Hey, if you hit this level right here, you get rated at this position. Or you hit this level right here, mm. you get rated at this position. Mm. I've seen veterans who are rated at 100% PTSD. Like, wow. they are really out there. Like, they got some issues going on with them. Wow. Or I've seen veterans who got 30%. It just depends on the level of how PTSD is causing them the issues that they have. Now, initially, of in order to receive PTSD benefits, the VA has to initially, a VA physician or doctor has to diagnose them. Is that correct? Um, it could be where the, the, the doctor has diagnosed them on the VA side or it can be a private doctor. Okay. Um, but the way the VA looks at it as if, if, the, if the veteran comes in and saying they're going to put in for PTSD, the VA is going to look for a couple of things. One, they're going to look at the DD-214 to see where that veteran has been deployed to. Mm -hmm. Or we're going to look for a combat action ribbon, or we're going to look for a uh, uh, the CAB on the Army side, the, the, the combat action badge. Right. Like, that right there is telling us, hey, this dude has been, or this lady has been in the, the shit. You know, the, we got to get this thing exam. In the thick of the mud. Right. Right. So you may have a veteran who had never deployed, don't have those badges or those medals, but they're claiming PTSD. So, like, you got people out there who's been assaulted. Like, you got um, families who may have a husband or a wife claiming PTSD because they were in domestic violence or right. they witnessed a, a car crash on the side of the road where... They were helping people get out of a burning vehicle or something like there's different types of PTSD that is not just tied to combat. Perfect. Perfect. So, but that, but that would designate them as a different category because 
one thing that, that 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 I noticed with the VA was that when I first went into their services for care uh, for medication was uh, they asked they asked me for my DD two fourteen, and on my my folder they wrote combat veteran, and then yeah. there was a folder to the left of that that said veteran, and then there was a folder to the right inside these nicely stacked bins that said POW or combat wounded. Um, yeah. So they the VA designates and has veterans selected in three different tiers, which is veteran, combat veteran, POW, and or combat wounded. Correct. Correct. My man. Okay, let we we pushing through it, brother. I know, I know, we pushing through it. Okay. <laughs> are, are there any benefits for veterans that are not well known, uh, that are left unclaimed, that a lot of veterans just don't know about? I'm gonna tell. Um, there's, there's so many benefits out there, man. Like, depending on where you're located at, what state you're in, um, you need to look at the, the veterans section of state benefits. Cause there's a lot of benefits out there that are left on the table that veterans don't know of. Um, I know here in Georgia, uh, one, one thing that is a big deal is like veterans can go to their local county and get free license plates. Um, you have veterans that if they get a hundred percent, they'll get property taxes eliminated. Um, it's just so many things that are out there that veterans don't know of, but you have to research, you have to talk to people, right? You have to talk to other veterans that are right. around you or veterans that you may meet on a daily basis because there's a lot of things that are left on the table. Brother Avery, why, why is, is the benefits or the benefits so secretive? Like why 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 is the network so imperative and why isn't it just out there for for like a network service like Facebook uh, for individuals to ascertain uh, this information is because uh, it just seems like a very secretive uh, underground informative network. Why is that? Let me, let me tell you this. You already know. What is the world running on? Money. It's all about the money, brother. That's right. It's That's all about right. the money, but I'm going to tell you that there is tons of money in the VA. Um, the VA is the second biggest federal agency. Mm. There's, there's tons of money, man. Like, the VA has the tools and the benefits to help veterans. But the thing that's important is the veterans have to come correct. They have to provide the information that is needed mm. to get them on benefits, man. Like... If you're not providing the information, you can't say, oh, the VA is doing this, the VA is doing that. Mm. You have to provide the information because the VA is going to tell you what they're looking for specifically. Mm. And if you hit those targets, you're going to get the benefit. You have, to, as a veteran, you have to do the research. You have to do the research and you have to provide everything that the VA is looking for in order to get you the benefits, man. Because there's plenty of veterans out here that have been getting veteran the, the benefits for years. Mm. There's plenty of veterans out here that don't even know about the process, but right. you have to do the research, you have to talk to people, and you got to provide everything that's required on the VA side to, to get rated and get benefit. Listen, man, Brother Avery, thank you for the wealth of knowledge that you just given many, many veterans 
uh, that that are hopefully I hope that that are listening to the podcast, man. This has been something great. I appreciate the time. I appreciate the laughs. I appreciate the times that we spent in Iraq. Listen, man, I'm gonna tell you something, man. Without you there, you know, without Chalky there, without Gallegos there, without some of the great folks we had there in Iraq adjacent to us, man, great Marines left and right. It would have been such a horrid, horrid tour. But I will tell you this. I especially hold you uh, close to my heart. And man, shit, dude. Uh, we, we, your rack was adjacent to mine. And you will be like, hey, look, man, listen to this CD. Hey, you listen to this CD. And, and I hold you. You have no idea, man. I hold you in such high regard and such high respect. You know, the fact that we're able to sit down and, and, and digest the same type of music and bop our heads to the same lyrical devastation that these artists put out. That's what connects me to you. And, and the fact that you and I, we serve together in a combat country and we're able to come back and you were able to be a part of my wedding, a wedding party. And you you held up the, the non-commissioned officer's sword. At my wedding was 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 listen man thank you so much for that by the way man I I I don't know how to thank you I really don't man man uh, I just before I reply to that um all the veterans listening out there this is the gold mine of benefit information you need to check out benefits dot va dot gov once again benefits .va.gov. If you got a phone, if you have internet at the house, if you have work internet, if you have a library next door, I don't care where you go look at it. Go to that website right there, and there is so many benefits on there that you'll uncover just by clicking through the links. My man. But, uh, but man, Carlos, man, architect, uh, man, it's, it's been a pleasure, man. Uh, from the date I seen you at Pendleton in 2000, 2004 up until now, man, it's just it's been a journey, man. And uh, I don't know, man. You got people that come into your life and cross your path. Like life and relationships with people are like seasons, man. Seasons don't come and go just like they come on come with us every every year. But um, when you get that season that comes into your path, man, that uh is is uh, positive and it's an asset. You want to keep that season around, man. So, I mean, that's definitely something that you provided over the time. And I know we're going to be laughing and giggling with about, about stupid Iraq stories, man, well into our, our older years, man. Gray heads in the face. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. You know, real quick, man, when 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 the podcast was created, man, it was to show my, my interest in music and particular artists. And then uh, it moved on to expand on uh, life experiences and, and most importantly, people that I felt were imperative in my life. And uh, I decided to start putting those individuals uh, within the podcast that made an impact in my life uh, to share uh, a, a sequential part, uh, pretty much my story. And uh, everyone who, who I have on the podcast has made a great great impact on my life and you are one of those individuals and i'm so blessed and I, i'm so happy that you were able to 
to you know we were able to put your voice on, on record and, and have you up uh, up on here and then just spread out the knowledge that that you just gave out uh you know that would help so many veterans out you know who just don't even know that these benefits ex- exist man so believe me man it has been much more pleasure of mine than it was for yours i i truly apologize i know i i told you hey look i'll probably have you on here for 45 minutes maybe an hour here we are running an hour and 51 minutes damn near two hours but every minute of it every minute of it has been great i i know uh you and i will speak uh further on later on in the future um and um man just thank you so much and i truly truly appreciate it you know after i sign off just don't hang up let me let me talk to you real quick after i sign off man but aside from that uh is there anything you want to you want to give out to the listeners hey get your education use the gi bill if you hadn't um i know with me i was i was fortunate while i was in to uh use tuition assistance and get my bachelor's degree while i was in and then when i got out I use my GI Bill to get my master's. So, I mean, education is another way to get knowledge. And putting the right people in your corner is another way to get knowledge. Use your assets. Use everything that's out there in front of you. As veterans, we are blessed with so many things. You got to get off your ass and you got to use them because this world is cold. This world is going to kick you to the side. But if you do things the right way, you will be very successful out here. And I just I, I leave people with that, man, because there's a lot of people that just they don't they don't take advantage of everything that's in front of them. And with you, my man, like it's been a pleasure, man. And uh, anytime, man, I got your back on anything, man. So uh, just let me know, man. Thank you, my brother. Just go ahead. Stay on the phone real quick, man. Let me go ahead and sign off. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been your host, DJ Architect. It has been a great, great pleasure to have my homeboy, man, my combat veteran compadre. Gunnery Sergeant Avery on the mic with us, uh, giving us great information. This has been Chapter 39 for your monkey ass. This is your homeboy, DJ Architect, representing the place to be. I love you guys. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, Once again, Chapter the Architect, DJ Architect out. DJ Architect.